The security clearance process is complicated. Maybe you find yourself applying for a position with the national security community and then finding yourself with questions you don't know how to answer. Maybe you've held an active security clearance for decades and now find yourself wondering if you need to report that DUI or if your bankruptcy will be flagged under the new continuous vetting program. Security clearance policies are changing and it can be hard to keep up. Whether you're a security clearance applicant, defense industry hiring manager, or government agency, it's okay to have questions. We have the answers. Welcome to Security Clearance Insecurity on Federal News Radio. Brought to you by your hosts, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com and Sean Bigley. Hi, this is Lindy Kaiser with clearancejobs.com and welcome to this episode of Security Clearance Insecurity on Federal News Radio. Defense hiring, hiring within the clearance space, definitely a topic that's obviously near and dear to our hearts over at Clearance Jobs. We talk a ton about the hiring process, how to get a job in this industry. The security clearance is one component of that that we tend to touch on a lot because the show is called Security Clearance and Security. But it's a part of this broader piece, which is this whole national security hiring market that we're in. So today I'm really excited to be chatting with Michaela Flato. She is the Chief Unicorn Collector with Defense Unicorns or also the head of talent acquisition at Defense Unicorns. And Defense Unicorns is really one of these companies that I love following and seeing over at Clearance Jobs. They're relatively new in this space, but not brand new. They have built really a robust employer brand, which I know is kind of a you know wonky industry term. But when you see them, you know them. And it seems like they work in the defense industry and support national security, but they also have a lot of fun. And I love Michaela because I came across her online. She definitely is having fun at what she does, but is also very passionate about the community and making national hiring better. So thank you so much for being on the show and for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Of course. So we have traded laments about the government hiring process because you come from a government background. You have family members who have worked in and supported national security. But it's one of those topics that seems like I was just having a conversation with someone earlier today, as we will do about the government hiring process. Why is it so painful? Why are we still talking about the same problems over and over again? So just to start, kind of talk about your involvement with the government hiring space. And if you have any thoughts, why can we not fix this big monolith issue of government hiring? Let's do it today. I started my career as an intern with the government in HR, and I have worked in honestly every single segment of government hiring from recruiting and placement from classification, which is where they're auditing grades and writing position descriptions, to manpower, to um, resource planning, to full on just being like the central HR for one of the organizations. Coming from that, having a full view of the whole process, and then looking at it from above, there are just so many inefficiencies, especially when it comes to like, Simple things like so much of your time during the day being taken by data entry or like things being put on no kidding paper and passed around in a folder. It's incredibly frustrating because later in my career with the government, we had tried to push some automation in there. And I feel like we were met with resistance from folks who worked in the hiring process because they didn't want to be transparent about the hiring process because they had thought that it could potentially affect their jobs and the stability of their job. And I'm like, do you understand that if this data entry things, these like day-to-day things that take up so much time, if those were taken off your plate, you would have so much more time to iterate on the process, make it better 
and also give more human decision-making ability to some of those roles that need it. Also, I felt like when the hiring process is segmented that much, it's very hard to think like this job is connected to a human being who has a family who is waiting on a decision here. So to hear back from a job in four, five, six months, even up to a year is absolutely absurd because you cannot expect someone to put their life on hold and then hear back from a job in six months and still be in the same place that they were where they would be ready to accept that job. You touched on a few things, just the data entry and the duplication of effort, and then also just the responsiveness of the process. And that's something that I've heard a very similar complaint back from government, even related to the security clearance process saying, hey, we couldn't respond to everybody, like, right? Because if we respond to this person, then they will expect us to update them on this process and we'll have to respond to everyone. You're like, well, that's industry standard in the private sector. If you have an applicant that you've onboarded to the extent that you're putting them through the security clearance process, right? It's not just that they've applied, they are like in your pipeline. So nurturing that candidate within the pipeline is just something for government. There just almost needs to be an education piece of it. Like it will save you time because then you won't lose all these candidates. Exactly. And I have seen candidates who are perfect for the government. If we're hurting in sheet metal, they're sheet metal folk. If we're hurting in software engineers, there are software engineers, but they have been so soured by the application process and the time it takes to hear back that they've completely written off working for the government and they've given up. And that makes me sad because these people were once banging down the gates wanting to work for the government and have been beaten down so badly by the process that they just said, it's not worth it anymore. Like I did want to to serve my country. If I can't have the, even the opportunity to hear back on a job application, then why am I going to put forward any more effort? And they're just simple things. There's big things, but there's also simple things that the government could do. And so I think just having conversations like this, I hope kind of helps to move the needle on that a little bit. And I know that there are folks in the space like you have, who have worked in there and who want things to be better. So if we can get the right momentum sometimes. I haven't given up hope yet. Talk about the transition into Defense Unicorns. They're really one of the companies that I think is doing some really cool things when it comes to hiring in the space. What are some of the ways that Defense Unicorns stands out, even in this government contracting space? Because I do think they do. When Rob Slaughter approached me, he's our CEO of Defense Unicorns. When he approached me about coming to Defense Unicorns and building the hiring process the way I wanted to. That was incredibly exciting for me because a lot of folks in the government space were seeing me extremely vocal about changes that need to happen and things that I were seeing that were not efficient and were not contributing to hiring good employees, but it ultimately was falling on deaf ears. And so the prospect of being able to go to a startup and start something new from the ground up and make it like employee-centric, candidate-centric was so appealing to me. A lot of people were like, are you sure? And I said, it's more than just climbing the ladder and being in that stable government job. I want to feel like I'm making a difference and I don't feel like I'm doing that right now. I'm trying to, but I don't feel empowered to. And this is my opportunity to go somewhere and feel empowered to for a company that I know is going to be doing good for the government. I'm still serving the warfighter just as a contractor. And it feels good. Going there, there are so many inefficiencies with the process with the government that I flipped on its head over here with Defense Unicorn. So first off, every single candidate deserves a response to the job in a timely manner after that decision was made. 
I cannot control if the decision goes to your spam, if you didn't see it, but I can control that everyone is getting sent a decision on where they're at in the hiring process and what is happening. I can also be transparent about the hiring process. I can be transparent about timelines. I can move fast, which sometimes I have to explain to candidates, hey, I don't want you to feel like we are in a rush with hiring because we're moving fast. I just like to move fast because I understand that you have a decision to make. Like I want you to know what our decisions are as quickly as we're making them. That way you can make decisions for your family on if you want to come here and how that factors into your life. Interviewing process. Anyone who has interviewed with the federal government, it's rough. And there's a lot of rules where as an interviewer, you are not allowed to talk to the candidate, ask clarifying questions, really even like smile or chuckle or anything. You're just supposed to sit there and take notes because any of that is seen as potentially giving the candidate a leg up over other candidates. I do not like that at all because I think that that completely takes the human element out of hiring. I believe in having conversations with candidates and also explaining to them as well what we're all about because I can recall interviews that I was in that I was, you know, answering my questions, but I didn't have the opportunity to ask questions about the team I would be going to, the organization I was getting hired into, what were they looking for, what their expectations were. It's very one-sided. And I think that getting hired for a job should feel like I'm interviewing you and you're interviewing me. And we're making sure that this is a fit for both of us rather than just this one-sided question answering, being afraid to even look up at the candidate because you're going to give them some sort of cue that they're not doing well or they're on the right path. So that's something as well that we do very differently at Defense Unicorns. And I cannot tell you how refreshing it is coming from the federal government to coming to a place like this and working with, I can confidently say that every single person here knows what they're doing, is contributing to the warfighter and is excited about that and is passionate about that. We already have so much stress and big, hard government problems, especially in software and tech that we're trying to work towards that if we can make all other aspects of work happy, then we want to. I think that's how we set ourselves apart. And we're called defense unicorns. I mean, yeah, I mean, you got that going for you, for sure. I mean, I the chance to wear a unicorn t-shirt ranks pretty high on the list for me wanting to apply for a position. But no, I think you've also hit on something that's key. I think the mission is that unifying function, right, that everybody across this community wants to support. That is, it's a very serious mission, and that can also equate to stress. And sometimes we don't want to admit that these are can be very stressful jobs. So how do you balance the fact that you're doing cutting edge technology, you're doing amazing, innovative work that will occasionally be stressful. And if you're operating with that high intensity, and you don't ever feel the release of like, hey, but I can also have fun with my coworkers, or I'm working on this big problem that is stressful, but I'm solving with somebody I really enjoy working with. And I think when you have that, I think, again, you've done a great job of conveying that piece of it saying like, hey, if you're a technologist, your skills are in demand, you can get jobs a lot of different places. But this is a place you want to work because you have that mission that people want that. They want to solve the hard problems in tech. I find that across a lot of the candidates, but then they also want to be in this community that gives back to them. So I also wanted to touch on just because this came up and you know I saw on the headlines last week and this comes up in our industry some. And I, I think our community, as it's gotten bigger, it's been a net positive. We want the startups. We want the unicorns. We want different perspectives on this. But I feel like it can be harder to operate in that space as a startup. And Anduril is another one of those companies that's come on board 
And I noticed that they got dropped from NixCon as a sponsor. And we see that crossover sometimes. You're doing this innovative, cool tech, all the big names as well, but have some element of supporting the defense industry too. So I was just curious, I mean, ties into the question that we're kind of asking here around hiring. Like, do you come up against that? It's interesting because I do feel like a lot of folks feel a certain way towards the Department of Defense and towards defense contractors, because obviously we are involved in war and that is unfortunately a reality. I think we can agree that we all believe deeply in the value of life. Like, let's be real, when weapons are poorly built, there is more collateral damage, meaning more innocent lives lost. More tech in the defense sector means more improvement in precision and then reduces the risk of loss of lives. The reality is, is that the more tech that's inserted, the more innovation, the better this is going to get. I think that getting down to it and understanding like how technology can make this better is important. A lot of the candidates I'm finding are coming to us because they're getting tired of like improving how ads are being seen on the internet and like filters for your face on Snapchat and like all, yes, the technology is being used for that stuff. But then they're sitting there like, I want to push tech to its limits. I want to figure out like how to make this bigger because it's got to be bigger than this. And I want to make an impact. And that is what I talk to candidates about is the impact here, like saving lives. The weapons are going to be used regardless. Would we not rather insert more tech and innovation and have them be more precise. I sometimes I get that. And I just feel like a guttural feeling that people have a lack of understanding of what the Department of Defense does and how big it is. Because I think the breadth of these missions, I'm all about conveying like there's different avenues and lanes that you can work in and approach federal government employment. And it doesn't all look the same. And that's why I love new innovative companies in this space, because it you can support national security and work in a lot of different sectors doing a lot of different things, but you're still going to be working on some really cool projects. But I'm always good to hear that, you know, for companies like Defense Unicorns, like, you know that you're supporting the warfighter and you can find candidates that are interested in, in doing that and find that a more fulfilling mission than creating a filter. Although I would filter my face. I know. Add cat ears, remove the blemishes. Thank you. And I mean, I, I want to I wanna circle back to that and I'll be real with you. So I have worked in the Launchstool Medical Regional Center where troops would come and be stabilized before going back to the States after being wounded in war. And that's the stuff that people don't see. And some of these folks, I remember a gentleman who we obviously go in there and say, hey, welcome, welcome to the hospital. You know, what's going on? Like, we're here to take care of you and pack your bullet wounds and like wrap your amputated legs and whatnot. And he had said he was playing soccer with a little kid and then got shot, went through both his legs. And that's why he was at the hospital. And so there was so many more stories that were similar to that. And I was like, if people could see the folks who are getting hurt in these wars, because I'm sure on the other side, there's similar stories, you know, if there was a way to remove human lives from that equation by adding more technology, would we not want to do that? I do think you're correct where people just don't fully understand. And I think if they were to understand, 
they would be more willing to jump and say, let's, let's do this. Let's make things better. Let's make things, you know, more precise. Well, in that vein, let's, let's help. We're with the government. We're here to help. I want to circle back to the hiring question as we close. (laughs) So how, if you could change one thing about government hiring, what would it be kind of as, as we walk away from this conversation, do you see some low hanging fruit that you just wish the government hiring process would implement today? Is it a small, simple step for me to say, just completely gut USA jobs and redo the website and fix the application process, the BS assessment, the way that certain jobs are open for months at a time, but you never hear back and certain jobs are open in other avenues as well? Or can I talk about like, position descriptions and how they were written in the 90s and how they're not accurate to today's technologies. Interviewing process, the way resumes are sorted, which is a staffing specialist not really having any direct contact with the hiring manager or what the job is, just reading one of those outdated position descriptions and going resume by resume saying, okay, I got the keywords in here. It's kind of scary when you look at all the different areas that need to be fixed. So simple step. I don't know. Can I, I'll I'll just stick with gut USA jobs and make it more straightforward. Make applications more straightforward. We'll go from there. But that's the very first step and the very first thing that sours so many candidates. So that's the one I'm going to have to go with is gut USA jobs and make it better. Yeah. And I think it just doesn't reflect the hiring process that we have today. And we're all about like the accepted, you know, service positions over at clearance jobs. Cause we try to always tell folks like USA jobs is not the only way to find a government job. Like you can go to a place like clearance jobs and search. We have government positions listed there, even commencing these agencies who have those authorities, right. For the cyber and tech positions, most agencies have the authority to do that now, but kind of convincing and getting the hiring manager on board to say, you don't have to use USA jobs. We repeat that you don't have to use USA jobs, especially to fill these in-demand tech positions that they have. So kind of educating on that, we that's always big for me because it's like USA jobs should not be the only place you have to land on to get a government job today. As you said, until they make the process better, I have folks ask me all the time, how do I get a government job? And I wish I could tell them, create a profile on USA jobs and employers will contact you which is the way it is on clearance jobs. You can create a profile and hiring managers will reach out to you. We're in a candidate market where you should be able to do that. Yeah, exactly. That's what clearance jobs is for. That's what makes it nice. And like so many people are soured by their experience on USA jobs, but they still want to work in the federal space and they still want to support our government in some way, shape or form. There's other avenues, clearance jobs being one of them, looking on LinkedIn, looking at contractors, all sorts of different ways that you can support and not have to deal with the headache. There's so many great candidates out there who would do such a service if they could just support. Yeah, and I think that's the takeaway. I mean, we both talk to people all the time who want to work in federal government, who want to support these positions. That's good. Let's not waste it while we have it. But I'm so, I so appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. I love folks who have served in government, who have worked their way, moved into other positions still have a passionate for making government better because I think that's what it will take to improve the process is people who have experienced it from the inside and have that energy momentum and now have that perspective and a capacity to be able to say, hey, it could be better. Let's continue to improve the process and make it better. And check out Defense Unicorns because you're doing amazing, cool stuff over there. So I always appreciate checking you out. Thank you so much, Kayla. Bye. Thank you so much for having me. 
This is Sean Bigley and Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com. We're talking this segment about the limit for personal business on the clock and particularly where it is. Also, we see a lot of cases on clearance jobs where people write in and they have concern about you know getting caught doing something. Oh, I'm worried my employer is going to catch me or I'm worried that I did this and it's going to come back to bite me. Are there any stories, first of all, that you can recall where that was somebody's specific concern? And then secondly, which in your sense is more strict, I guess, employers in the private sector or employers in the government sector about where that line is? Yeah, well, I mean, this is like old school days going back to my days in the government. I mean, we used to have people who watched when we walked in the office and when we left we had a lady sitting in the front desk and if you took an hour-long lunch she would note it and like she would make sure you worked the extra 30 minutes now i laugh and laugh because if you tried to do that i mean if you have if you're in a government office and this you still have a lady like that who sits and watches your office please call us please let us know send me an email because i would love to hear that this still happens because now I'm appalled. I mean, just I think it's just, we just live in a different candidate's market. There's more in the the individual's control. I just cannot imagine that level of scrutiny of like the difference between personal and professional. And you're going to get docked for like how long of a lunch break you take. But we have seen, I mean, it's gotten a lot really squishy post-COVID, Sean, a little messy. And I did say like my prediction at the beginning was like, you're going to start to see some misuse of IT systems, like security clearance denials and revocations. And I don't know if that is become true yet. But I have seen a few more questions about folks saying, oh, crap, I realized I was on my government device. And I looked at something that I shouldn't have people who are like, oh, the pornography from a government device, a few of those have come up that always makes me eh. But like just people, things are just a lot more fluid in the back and forth. And a lot of it comes down to, like you said, browser history. What am I doing? What am I searching? What am I looking at on my government computer? It's less people aren't really worried about their eBay or Amazon shopping, although maybe they should be from a phishing perspective, but they are they are worried about other things. Yeah, well, so I'll tell you why I asked the, the question, you know, out of curiosity about which you thought was more strict. I've kind of seen both do weird things. And they, they each have different motivations. Obviously, the government doesn't have the profit motive that the private sector has. But the government has, to your point, more, you know, security stringent, you know, requirements, things like that, where they're more concerned about, okay, you know, are you doing something that's going to infect our IT systems or create a, a security problem, physical security, personnel security, whatever, the contractors are more concerned about, okay, our profit bottom line, are we, you know, potentially going to get nailed for overbilling the government, you know, fraud, where we're saying that you worked on something, but you were actually doing something else. You know, the, the question becomes, I think, well, okay, so can I do anything that's personal while I'm on the clock or I'm there, I'm on the government's dime or I'm on my contractor's dime and I am working every minute minus my lunch break for the contractor. And I like your term squishy. I mean, that's a little bit of a gray area, right? And and so I think that's kind of why we we brought this topic up because more and more we're seeing with, you know, hybrid work, remote work, a blurring of that line of what can you do? Can I go pick up my dry cleaning at 10 o'clock in the morning because I have 15 minutes between, you know, conference calls? I'm curious if you were, you know, to put on your sort of imaginary HR hat for a minute, what would you tell employees or what do you what do you see employers telling employees about this issue? Well, I mean, this is where like understanding your employer and your employment lane is super important because I do think, I mean, whether you're a government employee or a contractor or a contractor working on overhead is all going to make a difference. I think a lot of the government contractors have gotten really good at like 
the issue is time card fraud. And they will nail you on that. The government will, your employer will, that will have employment repercussions. And we have seen that. You know, I think it's just kind of being reasonable. I mean, if you are billable to a specific customer, you better be delivering on those billables. And if you are doing that and you're producing your work product, they're not going to be checking out if you happened to go pick something up or if you, you know, made a target run in the middle of the day or did something else if your work product is getting completed. But if you're not, if it's getting out of control, that's that's a broader issue. And just being honest on, you know, what you're actually billing to a customer is super important. As a former government employee, I mean, this is the laughable part of it. Like, just because you're there does not mean you're working. So I feel like there has been a positive shift in the sense of like, what are you actually delivering? I'm a huge fan of the results-oriented work environment. That's like what I have had from the ground floor at clearance jobs. I could not work any other way anymore. If somebody was on my case about what hours I worked, I would really, I would tell them to pop smoke. I'd be like, I would be it'd like ride or die at this point. Like, do not get out of the, if the, if the lady was telling me when I could take my lunch at this point in my career, we would be in trouble. But also again, just knowing what are the requirements. If you are a contractor, time card fraud will get you. Don't mess with that. And if you're a government employee, knowing what hours you work, it you are paid for that. So knowing that it, it, it does matter. And then if you're, you know, like me and, you don't just do what you want. You better be showing up with some results. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, that is the kind of funny irony is like, just because you are sitting there, it you know, you could sit there and stare at the wall all day and it doesn't mean anything's getting done. And yet, historically, that is how the government has measured productivity or, or measured performance, you know, if you will. Oh, they're there. Okay, well, they're, they must be doing their work. I mean... I don't know. I mean, I, I hear both sides of this. I think ultimately where I would get a little more hesitant and a little more concerned just from a legal perspective is like if it bleeds over from, you know, personal business, i.e. that target run or picking up the dry cleaning or, you know, 10 minutes longer on lunch to I'm doing something else that I'm also being paid for at the same time my employer is paying me. And that's that's the one that I've seen more and more recently where people have kind of wised up to this idea that like, oh, well, I can be mediocre at two jobs. Why well, just have one and, you know, kind of stick it to the man that way. And that's a really, really slippery slope, because if you get caught doing that, there are potential criminal you know, penalties there. My bottom line for anybody who's kind of wondering where the line is, is like, when in doubt, go talk to, you know, HR or your boss and maybe not, you know, bluntly say, hey, I'm I want to go to Target in the middle of the day, but put some feelers out and say, like, what are the policies here? What are the expectations? I just want to be clear because, you know, I work this way and I appreciate having the flexibility. I'm you know getting my work done, but, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm not stepping on any landmines. And, you know, they're probably going to tell you what you don't want to hear, but you might be surprised. So I'm just a big fan of transparency, asking in advance. This is not one of those things that typically lends itself to asking for forgiveness after the fact, you know, at least knowing where the the outer limits are with your employer. Thank you for listening to this episode of Security Clearance and Security. Please note the information provided on this program is intended as general information only and should not be construed as legal advice. Consult a security clearance attorney regarding your specific situation. Have a question about the security clearance process? Interested in submitting your own topic? Have a question you'd like us to address on a future episode? Drop us an email, editor at clearancejobs.com. 
Thank you for tuning into Security Clearance and Security with your host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com and Sean Bigley. Join us next time as we continue to answer all the questions about security clearance careers you have, but we're too afraid to ask your security manager.